You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Hey there, this is Jennifer from the Sped Prep Academy podcast. I hope you enjoyed last week's 100th episode takeover from Paul Hubbard. He is such a good sport and did an amazing job, and I know that he'll be listening. So thank you, Paul, from the bottom of my heart. I am so happy that we've become online friends. Today's show is sponsored by my favorite TPT product, my favorite topic to teach on, and the one item I would refuse to do my job without, and that is my paraprofessional handbook. If you've ever wanted to train your paraprofessionals, but you just didn't know how, then this paraprofessional handbook will provide you with the structure, information, and forms that you need to train your paras in a special education program. It is a fun, colorful, organized handbook that is completely editable and packed full of beneficial information your paras need to feel prepared to complete all aspects of their job. You can edit the parts that pertain to your specific school and classroom through PowerPoint and print the parts of the handbook you need in color or in black and white. Put into page protectors and then put it all together into a binder. And then all you have to do is review this handbook with your paraprofessionals at the beginning of every school year. It goes over so much information dealing with expectations, roles and responsibilities, confidentiality, accommodations and modifications, and so, so much more. And because it's back to school season, and I feel that this is an important part of every special education teacher's toolbox, it is on sale right now for just half off. So you can just find the link in the show notes and check it out. Today is episode 101, and it is the first of a four-part series where I chat with brand new special education teachers who have a million questions before the school year begins about where to even begin in this overwhelming field. You know, when I started out, I really don't remember all of the questions I had. I just kind of jumped right in and soaked up all of the knowledge I could from my mentor. I'm aging myself here, but there wasn't social media or podcasts or blog posts for me to use as a resource, so I was just thrown in and expected to swim. So I think that it's really cool to be able to reach out to other teachers who are just entering the profession digitally and be able to provide them with the support and answers they need to help them start a new school year and be successful in the process. So the first guest is Jennifer Bernand, and she has five or so questions for me to answer. So let's just get started. Well, hello, Jen. I am excited to have you a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So you are the first of four episodes where I will be directly answering the burning questions that new special education teachers have, and hopefully we'll be providing you with the support that you need to be able to start your year off on the right foot and maybe even calm some of your nerves. Absolutely. That is much necessary right now. I appreciate it very much. Well, before we get started, would you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your journey in education and how you ended up teaching special education? Yeah, so my name is Jen Bernand, and I'm up here in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And this is actually my 17th year of teaching. 
I spent eight years in the public system teaching as a general education teacher, and then another eight years in the private system teaching as a general education teacher. And this is my first year actually going into a brand new position in the same private school that I've been teaching at uh, as a special education teacher. So I actually will be working with um, general education teachers, and I'm super excited to be starting this new journey that I'm on. Uh, It's just been a passion for me for many, many years. Well, teaching special ed is completely different than teaching general education, which I'm sure you you know and you're getting ready to experience. So in the intro, I shared that this was going to be a different type of episode than I've ever done before. And it's one where I won't be the one asking the questions, and but instead I will be answering the questions. So you have given me a list of questions that you've prepared and asked. And so I'm going to just let you ask the questions and then I will just provide you with whatever responses I come up with. Excellent. So I do have some questions that I'm just dying to uh, get some expert advice on. The first one would be that um, I'm a little bit concerned about how to ensure that general education teachers are implementing the IPP accommodations. So I know that definitely falls in my role, um, ensuring that the students get what they need. How do you ensure that actually happens? Well, in order to make sure that the general education teachers are following the accommodations and modifications, you first have to give them to them. So when you write an IEP, it's signed by the teacher the year before. So right now you're giving the new teacher all of those accommodations and modifications ahead of time before you have a new IEP meeting. So you can't just assume that they know what needs to be provided. So you need to put that into their hands. And the way that you do that is you provide them with a snapshot. Um, Most of the computer programs that we use these days provide a snapshot that has the goals and benchmarks, the services, the accommodations and modifications. It's just a quick glance of the IEP itself. And they need that copy in their hands, what it is that the child actually needs. And I do this in two ways. At the beginning of every year when the child gets the new teacher or if it's secondary um, teachers, I print that snapshot off and I put it in a folder that says confidential. That way that they know that they need to keep it private and I go over it with them. And then I have them sign a piece of paper, um, just kind of a general um, document that states that they read it and that they agree to follow it. Now, I don't know that this form would hold up in a court of law, but it does serve as an additional piece of documentation that they did receive that information and agreed to follow it. And then when the new IEP is written and they are a part of that meeting, then I will print out a new snapshot and give it to them then. Now, whether or not they uphold those accommodations and modifications is a different story. And I think that this is where your question is stemming from. So you're not going to know if they are providing these accommodations and modifications until or unless the child starts struggling. Um, So let me give you a scenario. So you have a student with a learning disability in reading, and they have 60 minutes of inclusion on the IEP. And you have a paraprofessional who goes into that classroom and provides those services That paraprofessional has been trained and is aware of the accommodations and modifications and can even help the teacher to remember to do them and to even assist with, you know, either marking off, you know, half of the problems or just whatever that accommodation is, they can assist with that. Now, once that para leaves the classroom, those accommodations and modifications are not supposed to stop, but you don't know whether or not they're being carried out and you won't know until 
that either that child starts struggling or the parents contact you and say that my child says that they're not getting such and such. So they're not allowed to use a calculator. They're not getting their colored overlays, whatever the accommodation is. You're, you won't know until someone tells you. And, you know, I, I want to warn you that there are teachers out there, but there aren't a lot in my experience of the teachers who don't follow the accommodations and modifications. And usually when they don't do it, it's because they forget or, you know, they just get busy and it's it's just another thing on their plate that they don't necessarily think of. So I want you to always assume positive intent when you're dealing with this. But there are there are some teachers that really see accommodations and modifications to be an unfair advantage and they don't want to provide them. And that's a battle that you can try to fight, but it will most likely need to go above your head at that point where admin needs to get involved because the bottom line is this is federal law and all parts of the IP are binding, not just the services. So if it comes out that that these aren't being provided and you have a good working relationship with that teacher, just a friendly reminder that, you know, hey, we need to make sure that the accommodations are being followed. Or you could, you know, pull out that document and say, hey, remember when we signed this, we, I need you to start, you know, providing them again. And then if they don't, if they just continue to not do it, then, you know, you're definitely going to need to pull in the admin at that point. I love the idea of going uh, in with a positive kind of way of looking at things and assuming the positivity. And then even just for my own comfort, knowing that I've provided that snapshot with a, a signature definitely makes me feel a little bit better about that. Awesome. Yeah. So that kind of leads me to another question. Um, what system do you use to track data for your goals? Well, I, I'm a paper pencil person. I, I have tried some digital ways and I just keep going back to that paper pencil because it's easiest for me, but I just use a data notebook. And what that looks like is just a one or one and a half or two, whatever size notebook you need for the number of students that you have. Um, and I just, within there, I have a piece of cardstock for each student. So on the front of that cardstock, I've used some really cute clip art and have their name on the side and having it that heavy paper makes it easy for me to flip through the kids. Um, but underneath each piece of cardstock for the kids, then I just have copy of their goals. And then I just have a whole bunch of copies of their progress monitoring probes. And then whenever it's time to progress monitor, I just pull out a sheet. I have them do the worksheet or do the probe or read the passage, whatever it is. And I collect that data. And then I just put it right back into the notebook so that when it comes to time to write progress reports, everything is in one place. I do have a tendency to sometimes get unorganized. And so if those papers are out of that notebook and they're just here and there on my desk or in a, you know, a pile of things that need to be filed, then I, I get kind of overwhelmed and I, and it just makes me, you know, feel unorganized. So I'd like to always just keep everything in that one notebook. Now that notebook isn't pretty, you know, I've got things that aren't in, you know, in the clips and they're just kind of hanging out, but it's all there. And so I know when it's time to write those progress reports that everything is in one place. And that's what I do for my kids who come out to me for resource. Now, if they're in inclusion, I do have a little bit of a different system when, where I collect data informally. And 
remember that that's okay. That data doesn't have to be the exact same worksheet every time. You just want to follow what the goal is asking for and then document it just to make sure that you write down the score that they got. So say that you have a sight word goal and one of the centers in the classroom setting is that you and the general education teacher decided to have um, a sight word center where they're going to rotate through and your student has a different list of words than maybe some of the other students. And then you might have a paraprofessional in there and they can just document on a sheet of paper how many words that that student read correctly that day. And then they just date it and they stick it in that notebook. You'll have to make it a a system um, with your paras that they know where that documentation goes. And then for my students who are on an alternate curriculum and they are more significantly challenged, I use a lot of rubrics and running record data sheets where the para is collecting data on a regular basis using the task boxes that we have. So basically, to answer your question, there is no right or wrong way. You just have to do it and just create a system that works for you and get it done because there's that saying that says, without data, it didn't happen. So as long as you have documentation of everything that you are doing with a child and you can prove that they did the work and you took the data point, then you're good to go. And I do have that student data notebook and a survey level assessment with a lot of those probes and even the rubrics that I use in my TPT store. If you're interested in those, I can link those to the show notes. That's awesome. And I'm with you. Organization is something that I uh, love to have done, but I'm not always on top of it. So whatever can make it a little bit easier to uh, track, I I love that. So how often do you collect uh, data for your goals? So I know you kind of spoke to, uh, you know, whether you're in the actual classroom or whether you have a group, Um, how often would you say would be a kind of a good amount of time between tracking those goals? So how often you collect data is really just based on the IEP goal itself. So you could have, you know, um, five trials. You know, you could be doing one one every day. You could be doing one every other week. You could be doing one every nine weeks. It all just varies on the child's individual needs. Just as Just like with the services that the child gets and the disability itself, every child is different. And every child's method of collecting data should look a little different. So if it's a child who needs repetition, they need it um, over and over to learn a new skill, then you're going to have a lot more data than you would if you just had a child who um, maybe just had one goal and it was for reading comprehension and it was a it was a long passage that you wanted them to read. And so that's not something that you're going to have that child do every day. So it it all just depends on the kid. It depends on the goal and it depends on how long it takes you to get that data. Um, It's. I'll say that you don't need to burn yourself out on taking data. You are teaching the child to learn. You're not teaching the child to test. So make sure not to think of taking data as the only thing that you're going to do as a special educator. There's so much more to it than that. It's all about balance between what the child can do, what their attention span is, what their goals are. So really, there is no right or wrong answer. You're so right. I think we think so often about the data collection and what the results show, but we really do need to think about um, why, why we're collecting data. And, and that's really the most mm-hmm. important. Yeah. The, yeah. Why take data if you're not actually <laughs> needing to take data? That's just. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so 
that also then, you know, makes me think about parents. We, a lot of times we like to share information with parents. How do you communicate with the parents and how often do you do that? At the bare minimum, you need to be communicating with that parent every nine weeks when you communicate about the progress that their child has made. But for me, um, I communicate a lot more often than that, especially if I have a child with more significant needs. I am a texter and I feel comfortable giving out my information to parents so that they can contact me at any time. And I, I feel like this builds trust and it keeps those lines of communication open. But I understand that not everyone would feel comfortable with this. And so there are different educational apps that you can use like Blooms or Seesaw where parents can communicate with you through the app instead of a a telephone number or a cell phone number. So I've also had parents use email instead of texting. Um, some parents, they want a phone call. Some parents, you know, it's a daily log where you're writing down everything that's happening um, it's really, it all boils down to what your parents need, and you need to set that up at the beginning of the year for what works best for you both. And then for how often, that can also differ. I have two or three kids where I was texting the mom every other day about this and that, you know, we need snacks, or, you know, they need um, pull-ups, or we need this and that, and or she would tell me that he had a rough morning, and, you know, it might be a long day. So it's just an open line of of communication there, but a lot of other kids, there are some where we just are sitting home a weekly report on, on behavior and things like that. And then there's others where it's just a nine week type of situation where I just report on the goals. So just like with the other question, it's all based on student need. But one thing I do want to state here is that communication with parents has to be primarily positive. If you don't communicate whatsoever about all the good things that their child is doing in school and you just send home that report about the negative things, that parent is going to shut down on you and you're not going to have that relationship that you need to have with them. So build up that child, you know, send pictures of them during their day, let them know, you know, they they finally mastered the letter A, whatever it is, just let them know those positive things so that when it is time to drop that negative bomb on them, it's not going to be so hard to hear and they're going to trust you and they're they're going to be a lot more supportive of you. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, even as a parent, I think about that. I would want to know uh, the positive things that are happening when my child isn't with me, right? So yeah, trust is a big thing. I agree. So the last question I have for you is that I'm, I'm currently going into a position in which somebody was already there um, and the paraprofessionals had kind of a flexible schedule. So we are in a junior high system, grades six to nine, and they do, the kids move around a lot and they see a lot of teachers. And so there is no set schedule for them. Do you have a way that you could um, easily input information in which the, uh, I could kind of see what the paraprofessionals have been doing in a day or a week with what students? Okay. So when you say flexible schedule, are you talking about like one pair I might see Johnny for math in the morning for inclusion, and then you might work with Johnny for reading, and then another pair might be in there for science and social studies. Is that the kind of flexibility you're talking about? A little bit. Yes, they are responsible for working with multiple students, but the same uh, pair would probably work with the same student. Okay. Um, well, para, working with paras, first of all, is my niche area. It's my favorite thing to teach. Um, I 
I feel like I had a relationship with my paras and I think that that has to be, you're coming in replacing somebody else. So I think that has to be your first step is to build that relationship and that um, relational capacity so that you can begin to have trust with them that, that, you know, they're doing what they're being asked to do. But if you don't have, um, if you don't have that trust yet, you don't, know where everyone is during the day, then you can have just a check-in, check-out kind of system within each classroom. And they can just, you know, come in. It's on a clipboard. They can just sign in what kids they worked with, the date, you know, a little bit about what happened in there. And then you you can just collect that data at the end of the week and just, you know, kind of keep track of what they're doing um, throughout the week. Does that answer your question? Totally. That's a great idea just to have something in the actual classroom so that I know if they've gone into that math class, then I know that they've been able to touch base with this student and this student. And I agree that that connection, that uh, relationship is just going to be key coming in, especially taking over for somebody they've already had a relationship with. Well, I feel like that accountability piece of keeping it in a general education classroom versus the parent carrying it with them all the time. You know, you want to have trust with people, but there are there are you know, adults out there who, you know, are going to break the rules sometimes. So if you're having it in a general education setting where somebody else is, is aware that it's there and they, they're not going to just show up, they're not going to have their name on there several times a week and not be there without somebody letting you know that. So I think just having that extra accountability piece was, is important. Yeah. I love that. I really think that's such a great idea. I never even thought of that. All right. Well, I, appreciate you so much. And I'm glad that you got to be my first guinea pig and um, asking some of the questions that have been on your mind. And I hope that I answered them well enough to help you. And I know that you know where to find me if you need any more support. I am willing to help however I can. I am super grateful that you were um, willing to bring me on as a brand new uh, resource specialist and and really just working in, uh, you know, in this capacity. So new for me, I appreciate your advice as a veteran. Well, awesome. Well, if you want to connect further, just let me know. Will do for sure. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks again. If you liked what you heard today and realized you found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and then head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.